Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. I will be reading Luke 8, verses 26 through 39. Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. When all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes then asked him to depart from them because they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and Declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, I covet the gift to teach the Scripture faithfully. And we are all desperate for You to give to us ears and hearts to hear so that Your Son, Holy Father, may be glorified in our midst. Amen. 
C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which the human race can fall concerning demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. End quote. Do unseen, invisible personalities, evil spirits exist in the world today with influence over human beings? The answer is yes. And one evidence of their existence is that there are many people who do not believe that they exist. But if Satan and demonic forces cannot get people to disbelieve in them, then they're just more than happy to help you believe and push you to extremes within the church world concerning the existence of demons. All those people believe they got the Bible. Okay, let's let them go on really believing crazy things and make them look like kooks. I speak somewhat from experience in my church life. I have seen crazy doctrines and actions by fellow Christians concerning demons. I mean, to, to, to where almost anything abnormal has some type of a demon behind it. I still remember the, to me, I was in my, I was young and naive, but I would think I'd have wisdom to realize that was odd and that I don't know if that was wisdom. When I'm in a church service and there was a guest speaker who used to be a TV personality when she was a kid and now she's a Christian. And I remember in the middle of the service she had some woman who was fairly overweight, stand up. And she so-called was casting the demon of obesity out of her. The devil loves that kind of stuff. And the sad effect of those type of things within the church world is that Christians just totally shy away and keep out of mind, out of sight, the reality of the existence and the forces of evil in this world. But, see, a sane Christian can't disbelieve in the reality of demonic spirits because of this book. And because of, in our text right here, in verse 30, the Lord Jesus is talking to a demon. What is your name? So, what I want to do for a moment... We're going, to, we're going to hold off on this text for 20 minutes. And, and I want us to basically do a perusal of the subject first, and then we'll go to our text. of What is the Bible saying about the existence of demonic beings? So, first of all, 
God is the creator of all things. We human beings, wicked, evil, sinful human beings, we came into existence by God. And then we see in the Bible, we fell in sin. But, again, God has created all things. As He has created humanity in His own image, spirit beings who live and dwell in the three-dimensional physical world with physical bodies who are moral agents with personality and consciousness, etc. He has also created other beings, non-human beings, with personality, with a conscience, with moral culpability, and without any physicality to them. Called angels. Now, there are the elect angels who have not fallen and never will fall into sin, but will always remain forever faithful to their Creator and loving and delighting in His holiness. And there are other angels who have fallen into sin and serve the head of the angels, that big angel referred to as Satan, the adversary of God. Listen to Colossians 1.16. Again, here's our situation. We are sinful people, and there are other sinful agents called demons that have influence over human beings. Paul writes, For by Him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ Jesus and for Him. Now, just one little glimpse. I'm going to, in Revelation chapter 12, God gives us this. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Okay. So first then, just take a quick glance in the Old Testament. Before we get to the New Testament of the existence of demons. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, I mean chapter 32, verses 16 and 17, what we see here through Moses is the world has always been religious. The fall creates religion like you won't believe. And that the idea that there are gods and that you make statues to them or you do sacrifices to them is very clearly stated in the Old Testament that it's not merely a psychological explanation of humanity, the idea they want to exist in God, 
But it's more than that. That there are evil spirits or demons behind such action. For instance, verse 16, 17, Deuteronomy 32. They stirred Him, Yahweh the true God, to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations they provoked the true God to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods. Psalm 106, verses 36 and 37 says, They served idols which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters. Okay, on an altar, but the text says now, they did that to demons. Or in 1 Samuel, you know the story of Saul and David, the first king of Israel, Saul. Not a good king. Chapter 16, verse 14 says, And now, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Jump down to verse 23. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul that David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him. First Samuel chapter 18 we read, Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raged in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual and a spear was in Saul's hand and Saul hurled the spear to try to kill David. In chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, we read, Now, this is another experience, there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul, and he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear. Now, Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 24, is writing about the future judgment that still is to come. It was to come from his standpoint and it still is today. And he writes in Isaiah 24, verses 21 to 22, On that day the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on earth. Now, so notice the contrast here. So I feel really confident he's talking about wicked Angels or demons or spirits because the contrast between those who are physical human beings on earth and then those who will be punished in the spirit world in heaven. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison and after many days they will be punished. All right. Then in 1 Kings we get a really strange story. Remember wicked king of Israel, Ahab, and then the king of Judah was Jehoshaphat. And Ahab wanted to go to war, and he wanted to get Jehoshaphat to get his army to help him and to go to war. And Jehoshaphat said, well, okay, but you know what? First we need to inquire of the prophets of Yahweh. 
And Ahab says, I already did. I got 400 of these prophets and they're all prophesying. Go for it. It's going to work out really good for you. And then God gives us this glimpse. It's a glimpse a lot like what we see in the book of Job where God has his counsel in heaven and Satan is there. Okay. Well, he gives us the same kind of thing where these evil spirits are there. And Yahweh, the true God, says, who will go for me and become a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets of Ahab? And so I, I just I, I don't, can't read it. It's too long. But at the end, see, the prophet Micaiah, whom God gave this vision to of what happened, concludes his statement to Ahab this way. And now therefore, behold... The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. And and he did. And the whole point was to get Ahab to go to war and to get him killed. And he was. Okay. Now, let's go to the New Testament. See, in the New Testament now, Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament. The New Testament is written in Greek. And we get this word demon from the Greek word daimon or daimonion. You hear hear demon? Daimon, demon comes over. That word in the New Testament is used 63 times. 54 of them are in the Gospels, meaning in the ministry of Jesus. And the other seven are, you know, used outside the Gospels. Now, referring to demons, also two times, just refers to them as spirits. 21 times in the New Testament, they are referred to as unclean spirits. Eight times, they're referred to as evil spirits. And then you've got a couple times where it talks about the devil and his and calls them angels or the messengers. Virtually everything that is true about angels, good angels that you see, is true of demons. That they have personality, they have powers, that they're spirit beings, not three-dimensional, not physical beings, Same thing. Except that the demons are those who have sinned. They have fallen outside of the goodwill and presence of God and they serve Satan. Angels in the Bible have names. My name is Gabriel. Whoa. Or Michael. Okay. Now, here in our text we'll see Jesus confronting a demon here assumes the demon has a name. He's got an identity. What is your name? Demons can speak. They can communicate even to human beings. They are intelligent. They can compute. Two plus two is four. A dog can't. And they can infuse into human beings superhuman powers. See, let me put all three of these together because I think I just love this text for one is why I want to read it. But, but, but they can communicate to human beings, they can infuse them with superhuman powers and they have intelligence. We read in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19. This is 
in the ministry now of the church after Jesus' death and resurrection. Quote, And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I like that. Okay. But see, not only that, demons formulate and they propagate their own religious doctrine in their doctrinal systems. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 2. The church, Timothy, the Holy Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences, this is the human being now, influenced by the demons, whose consciences consciences are seared. So, not all theological distortions and twists of Scripture are merely owing to human error. Some are. But Paul makes clear that many doctrines that become so embedded and argued for Behind the human agency are demon doctrinal constructions. Demons animate and they are behind all non-true gospel religions. Whether it's Islam or Buddhism. I can go on to the other world religions and the minor little sects of religion. And I can go on to the aberrations in church history and are still around now in the guise of Christianity. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10.20. What I imply, I'm picking up in the middle of his argument here, but what I imply is that what pagans, okay, here's religion, here's pagans in their pagan religion, in their temples, in their sacrifices... What, what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Okay. Now, there are four ways that the New Testament speaks about human beings being demon-influenced personally, or like we're going to see in our text. The first is with the word daimonizamai. Okay, let's go really slow. Daimon, you get the word demon like we saw earlier. Now this verb form of it, omai. 
they are demonized. Influenced by demons. This is the word that the old King James in the 1600 would translate demon possessed, and that's why we got that term that people talk about, but probably not the best. Translation, because possession can have somewhat of a misnomer. This word demonization involves someone who is under the influence of or the control of indwelling beings called demons within them to varying degrees. See, this word demonization is never used of people who are merely harassed or oppressed or tempted by demons. Okay? For instance, the chief of demons, okay? Satan. He tempted Jesus. Remember the struggle in Luke? Okay. Jesus was not demonized in that encounter, okay? Got the picture? But here we're referring to somehow now dwelling within the person are demons that for deliverance sake they need to come out of the person. So, demonization always refers in the New Testament to demons entering a person, dwelling in them, or being cast out. Secondly, the other way to say it in the New Testament without this big verb word, demonization, is to say, to have, the word to have, to have a demon. That's used 16 times in the New Testament, which I think means exactly the same thing as the word demonization. The person has a demon, and that's the way it's said in our text this morning with the man that Jesus encounters. The third way is, Just two times, the person is with a demon. I think it means the exact same thing as to have a demon. He's indwelt by a demon. And the fourth way is, one time we see in Acts 5, where it speaks of the person being tormented by a demon. That's what we get in the New Testament. All right, let's go now to our text in Luke 8. Start out verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. So I just... Picture it for a minute. After the storm, this previous evening and night, whatever, they end up on the other side, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and this area is predominantly, this is new to Jesus' ministry here, it's predominantly Gentile. Maybe some Jews live over there, but it's mainly Gentile. He and the disciples, they're getting out of the boat, they're walking on the beach, and they hear this shriek. And this wild-eyed, disgusting, naked man running at him. He's smelly, matted hair, beard. He 
the, the word a couple of times we're going to see, he cries out. It's, it's, it's more like a howl. It's almost this unhuman, torturous type of sound that this, this man is in. He's filled with scars and dried blood while he's naked there with him in the beach. I, we, I say that because Mark lets us know this about the same encounter in Mark 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So here's this guy. He's homeless. And he lives among the tombs. These cave-like things carved out in the rock where they put their dead and just there's just human bones and vermin and this is where the guy dwells. Naked. He was tormented by demons according to verse 27. That's what it means when it says, He had demons. Plural. In verse 29, Luke lets us know, here they're referred to as unclean spirits. Now, why? Because... Unclean demons, unclean spirits seem to be those that just take the image of God, human beings, and love to just distort it. To make it dirty, physically, and morally. Like we see here with this guy. Now, having said that, because this, is, this really does seem to be an extreme case, which is probably why all three synoptics put it in here. It's not your normal thing Jesus seems to run into every day, even though He's casting demons out, okay? This is an extreme case w- w- with this guy. Now, having said that, not all demonization, even indwelling demons and that demon influence on people is always producing outwardly unsocial or dirty, gross, disgusting sights like this. People can look very normal. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if His servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Okay. And those servants there are human servants in the context. See, demon-controlled men and women can appear very normal. Not like this guy running around naked and bloody screaming, howling, but very normal. They can even be Bible teachers, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians. But on the other hand, as we see here, they love to humiliate the image of God. And they've been doing it since the beginning of time. They love to push human beings into reflecting not the divine, not the God of creation who's holy, but to reflect the animal world. 
animals do I have a second thought about running around naked? And when we see this in humanity, let's get away from what we learned about right and wrong. Clothing. How you act socially. Look, i got family members that don't just open up when you go to that house their albums because you'll see naked people in them. There's something behind them. This. They love to turn people into those who can help but cut themselves with knives or rocks, become masochists. They love to turn people into animals in their sexual behaviors, like a dog in heat with anything. And they think it's merely their desires. And sometimes these demons manifest themselves vocally, through human beings, as we see in this story. Verse 28. When he, the man come running up, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So they're on the beach. This naked man comes running up. And this is the voice that comes out of him. And I don't know. Peter and those guys, they, I don't know. Maybe they're freaking out. Jesus isn't. I think he's calm. And he's firm. And he asks him, quote, what is your name? You're not talking to the man. He's talking to the demon. And he said, Legion. And Luke says, Because many demons had entered him. Now, that word legion is a Roman army thing, which, as far as I can ascertain, a, a legion is up to 6,000 foot soldiers. What we're to get from that, I'm not positive. We do know this. He had plurality, many demons in him. So there's Jesus, and just as the night before, within the last 12 hours, his disciples have had their mind blown when he got up, and they think they're going to die, and he spoke to the weather. And it obeyed him, He's going to blow their minds again in this situation. Verse 31. And they begged Him not to command them to depart into the abyss. You see here, demons have intelligence. They have spiritual discernment we see throughout Jesus' ministry. When they're confronted, Jesus walks around. They know who He is somehow. And it frightens them. They know they're in a bad situation. And they say here, don't send us into the abyss. That's the Greek word, abusas. Okay. That's the only time that word, abyss, is used in the Gospels in Jesus' ministry. 
because I say this because it's hard. What are they really referring to? Now, to help, I think, in Matthew's account of this same situation, he lets us know more that they said this too. Have you come to torment us before the time? Okay. And th- there are times. I think they're right there. And there are seasons. I mean, wh- why does God allow j- evil to exist today? In demons, in cancer, in sickness, in death still. Because He has appointed times. And there is an appointed time before Jesus' second coming. There's an appointed time that when Satan and his angels will be done for eternity in tormenting the saints. Okay, they seem to know that. So, But now he uses the word abyss. What, what, what I think is going on here, because I think Luke understands what he, what he means when he records this, and they say, don't send us into the abyss. It's something like the, the Greek word Hades, the Hebrew in the Old Testament, Sheol, it's a place of the dead, the spirit world of confinement, or something like that. But, but I think a better taste is, in the book of Revelation, this same word, abusas, is used a few more times. Let me just let you hear how it's used. Chapter 9 of Revelation, verses 1 to 2, we read, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Well, it's the same word. Abusas. He was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then you jump down to verse 11. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek he is called Apollyon. So, it just seems to be they know their future is doom. And somehow the abyss is, represents this to them. It's not time for that yet, is it? Please don't. So, and Jesus knows the times. And he wasn't going to send them into the abyss anyway. He's not just you know, having a good day and being nice to these demons. So, we read on now in verse 32 to 33. And so. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. So, all of a sudden, go. And you've got to get the picture. We learned from the other Gospels. There's at least 2,000 pigs. Okay, wait, stop for a minute. I don't, what's a pig worth today if you're farming a pig? I think, is $500 conservative? Think, right? Oh, if you did that in today's money, that's a million dollars. This is big business. 
Is my math right? 2,000 times 500 is a million, right? Come on, Bob. This is big business. And then, boom, these pigs just freak out. One, 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 going over the, the hill, into the cliff, into the Sea of Galilee. Perishing. This was a dramatic visual. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine what Hollywood could do with that? Y'all, you, you see the demoniac. You just see, that in itself is a dramatic visual. Jesus says, go. Whew. And then, whoo, 2,000 pigs just go out of their mind, freaked out, and perish and drown in the water. And then, we read in verse 34 and 35, when the herdsmen, got this, these guys are responsible for people who have invested in a lot of bacon, a lot of pork chops, and they're gone. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So, he's not naked anymore. Something's different about the clarity of his eyes. I don't know if eight hours has gone by, but hours at least have gone by. It could be the next day. Luke doesn't let us know. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus because Jesus must be teaching. He's listening and He's learning and He's thrilled and He's calm. Listening to Jesus. Because with a word, Jesus said to who knows how many demons that have tormented this man, Go. And they went. Deliverance, being set free from such dominion that Jesus did for that man, He does today. Actually, He does it with people who don't look anything like this man, and with people who do not have hundreds or thousands of demons indwelling them. This is the way the New Testament puts it in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Think about the deliverance of this glorious Jesus. He writes now to believers in Christ. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, 
nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now, here's the glorious part. Listen to it. And such were, Christian, some of you. But, Jesus got off the boat one day in your life. But, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If, Christ Jesus has transferred you out of the dominion, the reign of darkness and Satan into the reign of light or the reign of Christ, then you are sitting in your right mind at the feet of Jesus. Now, what was the response of the townspeople in that region, on that side of the Sea of Galilee, to this very visible deliverance miracle of this man. I mean, did they rejoice and think, whoa, we, we felt sorry for this guy for years. He, and he, also, he scares us. We've had to try to chain him. Wow, what a glorious thing. Those things we heard about you, Jesus, on the other side of the lake from the Jews. Tell us about it. Let's have a revival. It's not even close to what happened. We read, starting verse 36, and those who had seen it told them, now the townspeople are coming, they're flocking to the beach, they're, they're, there's Jesus and there's this guy and he's in his right mind, how the demon-possessed man had been healed, they told them all about it. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart. Leave, please. From them, because they were seized. That's how the Greek puts it. They're just grabbed by fear. And so Jesus got in the boat. And he returned. I, I, they saw Jesus perform, or the effects of it if they got there late. This miracle. They, they see the guy in his right mind, but they also know that a lot of money went over the cliff into the lake. Somehow, this Jesus, Jewish, itinerant preacher we're hearing about might cost us a little bit more than we thought. And so, they feared Jesus and what He might mean more than they feared the presence of the demoniac. You think he meddled with big business pigs? He might really meddle with our lives. What Luke really unfolds here in this whole passage is that there are two types of people who are in the grips of Satan in the demonic realm. There's the demoniac manifestly filled and dwelt and tormented by demons. And then there's 
all the normal people <laughs> function socially and business and everything normally. And they're in just as much need to be delivered from the kingdom of Satan. In our culture, oh, the homeless guy. I, I was witnessing and talking this week to a guy who's been in the penitentiary. The tattoos are everywhere. He still can't kick uh, methamphetamines. He's had Christ experience, but he wanted to talk. And you can see, we, we look at the, those type, the drug addicts and the thieves and those who are in the penitentiary or who are ex-cons, etc. Yes, okay. And, but then there's all the upstanding people who you know, have done the college and their graduate degrees and have worked their way up in the ladders and got their homes and are growing older and have a nice family. Both are represented in this text. Outwardly, that second group, they're decent, respectable citizens. But there is something about the holiness of Jesus. Holiness confronted evil in a word. And there's something about His presence that frightened them. Please leave. These are the kind of people that rationalize. Oh, good. Christianity, religion, that's good for the down and outer, the homeless, whacked out, low IQ, thief, drug addict, hard life, Jerry Springer type, panel guests. And I go to church, but no, let's... In the Christ thing, and a Christ, this is the Christian Western religion, so it works. It works good, good place to to give your money and do good social deeds. But you get down to it. Me personally need God to send. I mean, really. I mean, thinking about it, to send His own Son to become a human being because I am so wicked. Because I because I deserve. God's holy anger upon me forever? Of course not. Not me. I'm basically a good person. And, and after all, we know we, you go to funerals, it's preached all the time. One thing you got to do to get to heaven die. <laughs> Rest in peace. Really. That is a doctrine of demons. Christ, Christianity, you know what? That's a, that's a good way to live your life, you know? And kind of maybe you, you even act better and cool, you know? And we're all going to die and we're all going to go be with God in heaven. That's a doctrine. Contrived by demon spirits. All human beings, whether the demoniac or all the people from that region who came to see what happened, are in one of two categories. It's how Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14 puts it. 
And this is Paul now. He's writing to Christians who are in this one category now. He says, Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, what's stunning about that? Paul said, He has delivered us. What do you mean us, Paul? The guy who's religious from birth. He is well-educated. And his Ph.D. is in Bible. And theology is a Pharisee. Into his thirties. And he was in the kingdom of darkness, of Satan. And he says, Christ came with me and with Colossians, you Gentile, you pagan worshipers. You and me, he delivered us. Away from the domain of darkness. Every person without Christ is under the deception and the sway of demonic beings concerning the true welfare of their souls. This day on the beach, these townspeople really missed it. Please leave. And what a contrast to verses 38 and 39. The man, though, from whom the demons had gone, begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare to them how much God has done for you. And Luke says he went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. What a stark contrast. Leave! Please don't leave me. I want to be with you. Oh, that's natural. And thank God we know what happens next, right? He goes to the cross and He makes the promise to the apostles and to all His sheep throughout the generations. I go away. I will not leave you. I will send the Spirit. He's with us. And the mission is still the same. Go and tell what great thing God has done for you. Every born-again person has a story. Whether it's dramatic like the demoniac, like the drug addict, or whether you're raised in a functional Christian church and somehow miraculously God got a hold of you at a very young age. We all have a story. That story is important. Tell it. 
But don't tell it without telling the news that go together. The news means the good news. Good news is a translation for the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, this is the way God did me, and I got a story, and you got a different story, but this is, we all have the same message. This is how He went about doing it. See, the way things are is that you, whom you're telling, I was born a sinner. God created the world. He's perfectly holy. And He made humanity, you and me, to reflect His image. And every one of us have willingly spat in His face. And anyone who is honest knows it's true. And this holy God is so perfectly just and pure, He cannot deny Himself in His own holiness. He must be just. And that means His eternal, perfect, just punishment hangs over every one of us human beings who are on our way to the grave. But this God, in His eternal love, has found a way to deliver the demoniac, or, or me, Joe LeMay, a sinner, to deliver us sinners from His wrath while all the while upholding His justice. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what the cross was doing. Justice was poured out on sins of everybody who would believe in and those sins and that guilt and that punishment is forever put away. And so He offers to all freely nothing you could do to earn it. You just receive it. So you tell your story. That's what He did to me. And this is who Christ is and what He did. And there is no other name under heaven by which we must be eternally delivered. And as you tell that gospel, that story, and while you're doing it, when God, by His grace, opens the mind and the hearts of the hearer like He did to you, those people will never again say, Jesus, depart from us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for all of us who have embraced You, who have first been embraced by You, who have first been thrust into Your kingdom in order that we might see the beauty of the good news of Your life and Your death and Your resurrection. That good news that You have transferred us out of the dominion of Satan and into the sovereign, loving, sanctifying, and 
this life of pain and trial 